what I wanted to talk about tonight is I, I want to reimagine or reinvent uh, or repurpose the discussion of a central, maybe the central topic of Jewish life, practice, and philosophy, and that would be that of faith. Because I feel like in today's vernacular, in today's society, faith has kind of gotten the same uh, treatment as the transistor. And that is, it's either up or down. Right? It's people treat faith as a question you would get when you're registering to vote. When someone registers to vote, right, there's a bunch of optional questions. Like, would you care to describe your race or your nationality or your views or whatever? It's, it's all optional. Uh, and today, our society, we talk about faith, you either got it or you don't, right? You either believe or you're a non-believer. It's a yes or no question. And in Judaism, we find nuances in faith that have allowed me to compile a list of nine different kinds of faith and multiple levels in each one of those different kinds of faith. And if I say, you know, and, and so the goal of the discussion here is to, uh, um, uh, to dispel misconceptions about what faith really is. Because when we actually look at some of the sources uh, that we find in Jewish writings about faith, we find a lot more than a simple up or down vote, yay or nay. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not you either got it or you don't. Okay? So is everyone comfortable here uh, maybe opening up this can of worms or opening up this discussion of faith? We've done worse. We've done worse. Okay, good. So we, <laughs> Okay, so... I'm, I'm working here with an assumption that everyone in the room has what we call faith, or what people in society call faith. Um, and I want to examine, just, just break it down what it is. Um, so simply, bottom line, simplest level of faith is going to be someone who says, yes, I believe in some divine entity, divine quality, uh, divine uh, intelligent uh, um, creator of everything. I think that's the simplest level of faith. And if you examine the people that have such a belief, you'll find that they actually fall into two different categories. Number one, the people that say, hey, I have faith because my dad had faith or my community has faith or my church or synagogue or mosque or whatever has had faith and I was kind of programmed into that kind of lifestyle and that's what I believe. And I never thought about it that much and I never actually questioned it and I never you know, spent time actually addressing if it's true or not, I just accept it as gospel. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, and that's the way I live. And I'm very happy with that. Well, my dad has proof. I question a lot of things. Okay, so, so that, 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 that's the simplest level, of, and I think probably most of believers today in the world fit that category. And that's people that have faith because their dad took them to shul when they were young, uh, because the synagogue taught them that, because that's when they ask questions, that's, that's the answer they got. And they never really questioned it. They questioned it a little bit, but that's kind of what they have. Uh, and the second, or the much higher level of faith, is going to be someone who has proof, evidence, someone who asks questions, someone who engaged in an intellectual pursuit and concluded that it's very reasonable, in fact, more reasonable than not, the fact that our world has a guide, has an overseer that's much more rational, much more reasonable much more logical than the alternative. 
Uh, and we even find, by the way, that this is the mandate of Gentiles. Uh, we know in our religion, in Judaism, we have a mitzvah to have faith. Uh, but this is the mandate of Gentiles as well. Why? Because this is basics. This is basic humanity. To be a human means to someone to have a little bit of a picture of what kind of world we're in. You know, what is this arena that we call the universe? And uh, you know, we expect everyone, not only Jews, to have a certain modicum of, uh, of, of interest and uh, curiosity and truth-seeking to actually come to the conclusion that there is indeed a almighty God, an almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, who oversees everything and has dominion over all. And in fact, we even find in the Talmud great polemics amongst Jews and non-Jews. You know, the great rabbis are, uh, are engaging in a debate with the non-Jews. The non-Jews are also fascinated with this discussion. And they, too, are trying to find their footing in this very important and central element of life. Uh, and when we look at a man of faith and we were to isolate you know, the, their faith, we'll say, okay, this guy's faith in his because of tradition, this one has faith because of intelligence. Either way, both of them in their minds, they have, uh, they have uh, a, an idea of a god or the god. Okay? How does that sound? Sounds good. Now, if, you were, if I were to ask you the question, what does Judaism demand of us? Does it demand of us to have a faith based upon tradition? What your dad told you, your grandparents told you, your school told you, shul told you? Or does it demand of us to have a faith based upon fact and evidence and proofs, uh, a faith that is impregnable to, uh, uh, to uh, debate and to polemics, a, a, you know, a faith that we can actually go and engage with people uh, on an intellectual level? Which one do you think the Torah yes, demands of us? Yeah, both. Huh? All three, yes. As uh, rational ones that we can understand and irrational ones that we wouldn't understand. Okay, but you're saying that it's... means obviously and there's a much higher level of faith if you're able to prove it and you're able to have a logical discussion about it. You'll be able to engage in the issues, don't it you think? It says in the Torah there's different levels. Okay. Ones that you, you can rationalize and ones that are irrationalized. Okay, but, but you don't need to have more than one proof, right? Once you have one proof, that's enough. So, is that right? Once you have one. Proof. Once you have a proof. We don't have proof. Oh, who said? Oh, this is going to be a fruitful discussion. We don't have proof. So this is just all a hunch. No, it's faith. <laughs> it's fate. Faith. It's faith. Faith without proof. Yeah, but that, I wouldn't that's agree with that at is. all. That's the Christian approach. Yeah. Christians, because that's that's just the way it is. That's not the Jewish approach. Jewish approach is not to have uh, faith and not ask questions. Accept it, uh, accept it as you know the way you were told. You know that's not the way we we roll. That's the way the Christians roll. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying that the, the Jewish approach has always been one of questioning. Right? Abraham was someone who went against the grain. He was the one who. Well, okay, but questioning is 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 the path to proof. So, okay, that's a good question. Um, But maybe what you're trying to say is that there's no empirical proof. There's no, uh, you can't measure it in a lab. Well, we have evidence 
Uh, if somebody would have some kind of prophecy, they would have evidence. They won't be able to replicate it in a lab, but that's still <coughs> evidence. That's still a proof. So it's not empirical, right? It's not based on uh, on on uh, physical um, qualities, but we still have proofs. There's no evidence. Oh. Well, Mount Sinai with the millions of people. Is that no, what you're talking about? Well, that's, that's about? a good example. I, 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 don't, I don't agree with that. I have mountains of evidence. There's plenty of evidence, the existence okay. of, of God. Okay. Let's hear one. Uh, okay, so what Ben brought up. Now, don't bring well, no, that's, bring that's, something that's, else. That's a very no, good no, one. No, no, no. This is you go no you, you bring something up. You can't have 1.2 million people be self-deluded all at the same time with the same vision. That's some pretty strange cooling. Somebody wrote it down, right? Okay. Okay, so the person who wrote it down could have written anything. Yeah. No, but what what the person write down? What does it say in the actual book? It says that the book is delivered to the very people that experience that at Mount Sinai, right? Not only, and, you know, it's not like you guys heard this. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 4. It's not like you guys just heard this and were told, you saw it with your own eyes, right? So the very people that got the book are the ones that experienced it. So it's very hard to imagine that 1.2, the numbers, it means the 1.2 assumes that there's the same amount of females as there are males. Um, but you know, but that's 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 a very decent proof. The fact that there's a. Um, but your but your but you have faith. Your faith tells you to believe that story. Yeah, but it's well, we have no. we have historical evidence from other nations at the same time that they knew about the Torah, and it wasn't in question. If if that had been put out there as some propaganda. That would have been anything else. Historically, it's. I'm not questioning the Torah. I'm saying it's historical. The Torah certainly exists. So nobody doubted that God came down on a mountain and talked to his people. There was never disputed because they had faith. You don't need faith for something that you see. They couldn't see God. Well, what 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 is prophecy? Information from beyond. It's a, it's a spiritual encounter with the Almighty. That's what they had, and they survived. What, what kind of evidence are you looking for? Okay, let's for? go beyond Mount Sinai. Okay. It's like this. This would be a very boring conversation if I didn't ask this question. No, it's... Go ahead. Totally unrelated. So, well... Okay, I guess I'm, I'm taking the Christian view of all this. Um, okay, so there's all this... You just have faith in Christianity. The dust true, as Jesus would say, written all like that. Mm-hmm. To me, being in sort of an outsider looking in, huh? it seems to me like that the Jewish people, or you say they question and everything. I guess if, if I was going to question something, why? There are so many rules in Judaism. And why doesn't anybody question that you have to do this seven times? And I mean, if the Christians are supposed to believe in faith, why do they just, without any type of, of questioning, why do they do that? Well, there's a few assumptions baked into your question. Let me just repeat your question. Tell me if I... I know I'm sort of rambling. Okay, but your question is like this. Okay, if Judaism is, a, is such a questioning uh, religion, why... Are why, so followers? why... To Judaism? But when I say followers, I mean people that say you have to do this this time and you have to say this prayer this time. Why, why are there so many followers or why are there so many rules? 
Well, why, why are there so many people that are willing to follow the rules? Well, who's there so many people? I'm saying comparatively, we have so little. Compared to 14 million but, Jews compared to billions that, upon billions of Christians and Muslims. But if the Christians aren't going to question, well, why do all the Jews just accept? But who, but who, who said, I mean, I'm, I'm disagreeing with your premise that Jews don't question. I can open up the books of the Talmud and every single one of those, uh, those, uh, those laws that you're referring to mm-hmm. are questioned. I'm questioning right now. And uh, you go to any Jewish butch store, any Jewish house, come to my house and see all the books that I have and open up any one of those books and the very first thing you'll find is that everything's questioned. So Nothing's accepted. Somebody debated why you have to go this way seven times. Oh yeah, I the reasons why we have to, why, I, I, I don't know what you're referring to, but you, wh- while like during prayer ritual. there's going to be some sort of gyration, is that the question? And that's just an I'll tell you the reason why right now. Why? Want to hear the reason right now? Why? Um, so the reason is, so I'll give you multiple reasons. How's that? Okay. Uh, reason number one is because there's a verse uh, that tells us, scripture that tells us, All my limbs will say, Hashem, who is like you. So when we're praying, we're engaging in a dialogue with the Almighty. And the relationship is not really, you know, we're not on the same level. We're, we're, we're submissive, like we're lower than the Almighty, of course. That's, it's, all, it's about humility. We're asking the Almighty because we recognize that He is the one who has the power to give us. And we're, we're receiving. Is that right? And we want to have a totally uh, uh, immersive experience, not just our soul, so to speak, but our body as well. So the verse tells us, all my limbs shall say the Almighty who is like you. And therefore, we want to make sure that we're moving as well. It's not just our body or our, it's not just our mind or our, our soul or our lips. It's everything. Uh, thus came the tra- tradition to actually sway while we pray. And there's another reason. And the reason would be because our relationship with the Almighty is somewhat um, uh, dichotomous. Right? Because on one hand, the Almighty is our Father. Avinu, but then the Mankenu is our God. And we're told that there's a mitzvah to love God and a mitzvah to fear God. Well, how do you love and fear you at the same time? What's the problem, right? Well, the truth is that it, both of them are true. You have a certain seriousness, there's a certain fear, there's a certain awe. On the other hand, there's a certain love, there's a certain appreciation, a certain joy of having uh, a direct line of communication with the Almighty. Okay, well, let's, let's finish this, right? So when we lean forward to the Almighty, it's, at, it's like it's someone that you love, you want to get close to, right? Some entity you want to get to love, you, want, you got to get close to. When we, we scale back, well, there's a certain trepidation when you get too close, right? It's, it's kind of terrifying to be close to the Almighty. We, we lean back. Thus, we're torn between these two relationships and therefore we have, we're constantly going back and forth. With the Almighty, so that's two classical reasons. If I remember, the Talmud, there's more. That's just an example. That's just an example. But every example you'll bring um, of Jewish ritual, Jewish practice, it's because of uh, an intellectual um, understanding of a certain issue that reflects in that practice. Not every issue. Not every. Oh yeah, of course. The red heifer. Well, the red heifer is, it means the idea behind the red heifer is we don't know everything. 
means reason. Well, so it means the reason. Well, no, that's a, that's the easiest one to answer because it's we're demonstrating our lack of understanding. We I'm recognize just, it's, it's, it's yeah, but, that, but no, but that, that that's true. It means there's also reasons. It's like give you guys an example. Okay, so in our in my life, right, I have a problem. I've got a big problem. And it revolves around my wife. Don't we all? <laughs> and that is, she sorry. has something, some desire that I find to be illogical. Oh, see, it's bad that you know. Sorry. Okay. She likes getting flowers. To me... Exactly. To me, f- buying flowers is the most illogical thing in the world because it's guaranteed to not last, Right. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you invest in something that is guaranteed to lose value the second you buy it and just end the exactly? Well, okay. All right, <laughs> oh, but cards at least have some sort of utility. This has no they utility. Last more than a week. But no, but there's no yeah. utility. There's there's no right. Is there any utility in flowers? Nothing. So, in life, we do things even though we don't understand them. Why? Because we re- recognize that the relationship supersedes, right, every little <coughs> transaction, right? So if your wife likes flowers, you buy flowers because your wife likes them, even though it doesn't make any sense to you. So we do the red heifer. I was just giving you That's an a good question. No, a ritual just, that doesn't really have an explanation. No, it does. That. I'm telling you, the, the explanation is that we do it. We were told to do it. We do it, and we do it with the supreme knowledge that we know that we don't understand it at all. We do it anyhow. I'm saying, but uh, but to, to cast Judaism as a religion that does things just out of 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 blind, it's, it's not true. Everything, every mitzvah, look at the Talmud. Is there anything that's discussed in the Talmud? Is there any nuance? Is there any stone left unturned? No. Of course not. We, Our religion, more than any other, questions everything. Not just in practice, but even in ideals. You know? And to say that that that, that uh, to say that uh, the faith, which is the most important mitzvah, is one that it's 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 or, or emuno when we say and that it's just about blind faith, you know that that's totally untrue. In fact, the first words of Maimonides, Maimonides is the go-to guy to um, um, uh, crystallizing uh, the Talmud. He says the first thing he writes is that we have to know, we have to have evidence of the existence of God. We don't have evidence of something lacking in our, in, in our mitzvah. So, now, that's not, that's not to say that someone who believes in the existence of God based upon tradition, that's nothing. Of course, that's something. But what's demanded of us is to have some sort of, uh, of, of internal, or even, not internal necessarily, but, but to have some sort of uh, seeking out of evidence. You know, if we're working just on faith alone, that's one Thomas. question. <laughs> it's one question. <laughs> no, like if you open but do up, you it's know the answer to all of it? I mean, it's just I don't know. Christianity, there's it's not a script, and that's I've had a real hard time. You got a book that tells you what you can and can't. You're talking Catholic. That's, that's Christianity. Okay, the Christianity that I live and I'm mm-hmm. raised in. There's different Christianity. 
No, but 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 you're right. You're right because there's something wrong. You know, if 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 we if we accept everything and if we just never ask questions, then who's to know that the life we're living is not is not, it's not it's, we're not frauds? You know, because then we all we the only the, the only result that we'll have is the one that we're indoctrinated into. So we think that the people that the Muslims that are blowing themselves off and killing innocent these people are wrong. We're sure about that, right? Now, they're sure that they're right. Well, who's, who's actually right? So if we're just working on tradition, then there's no answer. Because your tradition, well, who say your tradition is better than their tradition? However, if we're working on evidence and facts and, and information that's, that's, that, you know, that's logical, that's moral, that, you know, that, then we can ask the question. Then it's fair. You know, then we can examine. Well, you know, then we could have a discussion of, okay, that's what you say, but you're actually killing innocent people. You know? You're actually killing innocent people. Just today, like in, in, in Israel, there was, there was three Jews were stabbed and killed. That's horrible. And that's objectively horrible. And regardless of, of, of what our parents taught us, right? we as humans must come to the conclusion that stabbing innocent people and killing them is absolutely disdainful and horrible and abhorrent in every way. Also, the ISIS bombing in Paris. Oh yeah, of course. Of course. Um, and if we were just working with our tradition, if that's the only world, that, if that's the only uh, information that we were seeking out, then we can have no, no, you know, we have no qualms against what they're doing. We can't, we can't blame them. Because we would be the same thing in their shoes if we would just follow what our tradition says, and, and, and that's what their tradition says, and then we can have no we can have no complaints against them. It's not fair to us to have complaints. We can only lodge a complaint against someone who's following their tradition, right? If our uh, life perspective, if our, if, if our outlook is not based upon tradition alone, doesn't that make sense? <clears throat> Now, it happens to be really wonderful as Jews, you know, we kind of hit the lottery that our tradition happens to be right. <laughs> so it's kind of wonderful. You know, it's, it's just, a, just a wonderful coincidence. Um, but still, that's, we're demanding more. Mamani says, it, yeah, it's nice to have tradition. It's wonderful. But how are we different than anyone else? Well, what distinguishes us from the Buddhist from the Hindu, from the Muslim, from the Christian, from the radical Muslim. What, what distinguishes us if we are just following tradition? Well, then they're doing the same. And it's not easy to question what you believe. It's not easy because it's, it's, it's self-reflective and no one, wants, no one wants to examine what they believe. No one wants to question. <laughs> uh, it's not fun to question because what we believe dominates who we are. That, you know, that's, that, that's who we are. And to question that uh, is essentially to question ourselves and to question our identities, and it's not easy. Um, but it's 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 it should be demanded of everyone. And like we see in the in the, in the Torah, it's clear that most certainly it's demanded of Jews, but it's it's even demanded of Gentiles. You know, we find the Talmud like these great polemics that the Jews had with the non-Jews. Why would the Torah tell us that the non-Jews were also seeking? Uh, questions, so, you know, answers to, to important questions. I think it's because they too 
have the responsibility to have a certain degree of faith based upon intellect. Um, I think that uh, um, we should really have an entire discussion based upon some of the traditional approaches that we have had uh, of, of connecting to the idea of God, not based upon tradition, but based upon knowledge. That's a good question. That's a good discussion we should have. Isn't that kind of like part, part of the, the Sinai experience was that God said you're kind of like the go-between for the rest of the world? Like I'm giving you the Torah and you're supposed to help the world see? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. well, clearly our national mission as Jews is not limited to our nation alone. We're told that we have to be... Through our actions, not through conversion. True. Um, But we accept upon ourselves a certain responsibility for the entire world. Um, And we don't... Means yeah, and your point your point's correct that we're not trying to make everyone Jews. We may be trying to make everyone good, but they don't have to be a Jew to be good. You know, the temple the temple, think about the temple. The temple was a place where everyone came to pray and everyone came to offer sacrifices. Which is mind boggling. Like why would we let in non Jews to our holiest place? Well the answer is that no, it's not we're not just there to service our own. We're there to we're the moral guardians of the entire world, and that's why we have to have more responsibilities and more requirements to maintain our own status. Wait, I don't understand your last part. You said we we open up the temple to other people. To I'll tell you something. The Talmud says. Talmud says. Go ahead. But but those sacrifices have to be made. This is one example. Give me another example. But no, well, going with the sack, I mean, that boggles my mind because yeah. you, you know, like the wine. We can't even drink wine unless it's kosher because they might be praying to a different god. So how would they let them do sacrifices that might be going to well, a different god? Well, even if you and I went to do a sacrifice in the temple, we wouldn't be allowed to do the sacrifices because we're not coins. Oh, so what did you? So I don't understand what you, you just said. I mean, so you can still bring a sacrifice. You don't have to actually do the work with the sacrifice. Okay, so fine. They bring the sacrifice to the kohen. Who does the sacrifice? Yeah, he does that for them. Cohen's a representative. Do you represent us? Representative of the Gentiles? I'll give you another example at this point. Well, let, me, let me give you another example, okay? <clears throat> we find in the Talmud twice. Mm-hmm. It's in Andrew 59 and Avodah Zarah, I think, uh, 3a. Um, that uh, a Gentile who studies Torah is like a high priest, a Kohen Gadol. Gentile studying Torah? Isn't it our Torah? What's a Gentile doing studying Torah? What is a, what is a Gentile doing studying Torah? You have an answer? It's our Torah. It's Jewish people's Torah. Why is a Gentile studying Torah? I mean, they have, they have requirements. So they have certain mitzvahs. That's yeah, right. Seven Noah high laws. You know, that's right. But, but what it means is, is that the Jewish model is that we are responsible for the whole world and we're responsible to make the whole world good, but the whole world does not need to become Jewish to become good. So what it means that we'll be a light to the nations, it means that we will do more than necessary to become good. We'll become great, so to speak. We'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, as we're described in the book of Exodus. And we will hopefully drag the world at large towards being good. 
you know, if you are going to be someone who is going to be a model that's going to bring people towards whatever ideal that you're trying, you know, whatever ideal we're, we're talking about, you have to be so far exemplary in that particular area to bring people towards, towards that sure. goal. You know, like the, the, the Zumba teacher, right? Can't be like a schlubby old guy, right? What do you mean? Huh? I know Adam <laughs> <laughs> Right? You don't, you don't want, um, you, you know, the person who does fitness, like they have to, should be very, 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 very fit. We're doing goodness. We're doing morality to the world. We have to be very, very exceedingly moral. And that's why the Torah is more than just the guide to be an okay person. The guy, to be an okay person, you have to do seven mitzvahs. Seven no high mitzvahs. You know, to be a good person. To be a Jew, you have to do 613. Right? It's a lot more. It's what, 90, 90 times more. Right? Clearly, the Torah is demanding us to be great. To be exemplary. To be outstanding. Right? But the whole world will follow, hopefully, and be so we're the Zumba teachers for, for spirituality in the world. Go ahead. So um, a little while ago, we were, we were reading in the Gemara, Talmud or whatever. And, uh, it's the same word, just different languages. Talmud is in Hebrew, Gemara is in Aramaic. Because the Talmud slash Gemara was written in, in Babylon, it was written in Aramaic, and thus the word Gemara stuck. Go ahead. So, um, it was a tractate about, like, the temple's, uh, structure or how they built it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, wasn't there an outside, like, ring or something for, like, people that weren't Jews? Yeah, well, there's different parts that, some, you know, the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur went into the most innermost part, and then the Kohen went into the next part, and then the Israelites, there's a place for the women, the place for, you know, it was all compartmentalized. Yeah, so? <laughs> what else you got? <laughs> what else you got? <laughs> well, because you were talking about that non-Jews would come to the temple. Oh, yeah, yeah, clearly, yeah. Bring sacrifices, participate. Jethelah study Torah. Especially his mitzvahs. <coughs> so, Brad, we have to have a discussion you want to go in the other room? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Take it all back. <laughs> We're going to have a discussion um, delineating the classic Jewish approaches, or at least categories of approaches, as to how we know what we know. How do we know, you know, what's, what's our approach to faith um, on an intellectual level? Or what are the various evidences we have? So we mentioned one earlier. You know, I think we could ask questions like, uh, well... If there's 8.7 million species out there, and 99% of all species that have ever existed are extinct, so we're talking about 800 million species that have been around, is it possible that all of them happen by chance without an intelligent creator? Well, okay, well, what does it take to make a species? You know, what does it take? You know, you have to get uh, cells, and how do you make a cell? And how does all that happen with that, right? And the amino acids, the proteins, and the organs, and all that has no, to I'm, work. I'm not questioning you know, the existence. Well, that okay, but, but that exercise is an intellectual exercise, trying to determine the likelihood of one of two options: a, you know, a some sort of intelligent design, right, that's able to do all that, no problem, or random. 
It just happened. Well, what are the odds of it just happening? But see, that's a different question than faith. Well, no, because what's I mean, the result? I'm sorry. Well, that's a different question than asking me asking for evidence that supports Judaism. That wasn't a question of God. So that's so that's another question. There are two different questions. True. We're talking about now about faith, right? Evidence for God. There's another question: evidence for Torah, for so Judaism. The assumption that okay, so there is a God. Well, there might be some overlap. Like if, like if we could prove Mount Sinai is true, well, then we'll have both. So there is some overlap. But I, I, I spoke about this numerous times. I have a whole lecture series on proofs from the proofs from the Torah that Torah is divine. I just did a third a third round in uh, Temple Beth Torah. I just finished a, a round number three of uh, proofs of Torah evidence. Just incredible stuff. That uh, if you were to listen to them, highly advisable, you will emerge with a unshakable evidence that the Torah is divine. Could not possibly be written by humans. Clearly, I have more. I have like I think five in the series. Just examine what the Torah says and trying to ask the question: Well, what are the odds that it was written by a man or a collection of men? Or what's the odds that it is divine? Right? What the Torah? What is what's the content of the Torah? Let's examine and ask some questions. If a human wrote it, would a human know this? How would a human know this? Or if a human wrote this, would they make such a resp- restriction? Um, or if a human knew this, how could they predict events that happened thousand years in the future? Good questions, right? Once again, that's approaching the subject. It's not Why is it not evidence? It's not, is it, well, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not it's, empirical. You, just, you said it yourself. Odds. What are the odds? True. Okay. Okay, so the odds are well. Well, okay, so so these things happen. That's true. So 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 we wouldn't technically call it evidence, but it's still an intellectual approach towards. It's, it's a rational exercise. That's true, but there is evidence as well. There is there is undeniable evidence as well. So, so some of it won't necessarily be in the realm of evidence. It'll be okay. It seems like this is increases the probability one way or the other. What kind Correct? of evidence are you looking for? Like a physical evidence. Hey! We're just finishing up. <laughs> like in an hour, you're finishing up. Hi. Right. So, how are you? Good. Very good. <laughs> what, I don't know what kind of evidence are you looking for? But give an example of like, what... If, I, if we had... It would be difficult. I mean... Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Like you're, wait, I don't understand your question. Go ahead, Brad. Brad let him speak. Let's hear what he has to say. No, I think it would be difficult... Um, I mean, for example, we know that dinosaurs existed because because of fossils, bones. So, all right. So that's a I, so, and you can build a dinosaur out of bones found in the ground. You can touch them. You can feel them. So, so what does that prove? So it's dinosaurs. Fantastic. Okay. Who's ever questioning whether or not dinosaurs existed? No one's questioned that. That's saying, evidence. Is that's, there evidence oh. like like that? Physical. Evidence of Mount Sinai. Well, okay, so that's a good question. You want you want physical remains. You want like archaeology, is that right? What's the ark? Huh? The, the ark. ark. <laughs> yeah, where, where are these things? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, I have a whole class on archaeology in the Bible. What what we have, what we don't have. Um, so what do you want from Mount Sinai? You want the mountain? You could go to see the mountain. That's not a problem seeing the mountain. But what does that prove? It doesn't prove anything. It's just a mountain. I don't want the mountain. Huh? Right, but I'm saying I can ask you a different question. Like this isn't this you know this is kind of a similar question. Um, 
It's been asked before. How do we know that Abraham Lincoln existed? We have pictures. Okay. So, how do we know that... uh, There's a pillow in that, I don't know. So, but it could have been someone else's pillow, right? That's not proof. Come on, you know that. Because you have a pillow, doesn't mean that it's the pillow that Abraham Lincoln... Maybe Abraham Lincoln never died. Never, never, never existed and never died in any pillow. Pictures? We don't have any... Okay, so let's go earlier. George Washington. How do we know? We have his teeth. (laughs) We have teeth, but who says they're his teeth? Mythical fabrication. History. Right, so that's the question. How do we know any event in history? You know, how do we know that? How do we know what that? Are the odds that somebody came up with this story? Exactly. I mean, that, 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 that's, that, that's the approach. I mean, the fact that we have bones, um, or I, I've never seen anyone, Abraham Lincoln's bones, the fact that we do have bones doesn't prove anything, right? So there could be someone else's bones and easily be, be passed off as Abraham Lincoln's bones, correct? Hmm. Maybe Noah left the maggots. Maybe JFK never existed. I was born in 1986. I have no proof that JFK ever existed. And I'll ask you guys another question. This might be a little sensitive. Okay? Cover your ears. How do we know the Holocaust happened? I was born in 1986. How do we know? This is 41 years before I was born. Yeah, but but people aren't going to build concentration camps just so people can visit. Okay, but uh, is that evidence? Is yeah. that evidence? Yeah. I would say so. You would say of course, so. Yeah. Why? Why would you say not? I'm just. I'm just trying to work with with Brad's model. Is that evidence? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's quite a hoax that people are going to go to the trouble to build concentration camps all over Europe. I agree. I agree. Was the I'm, I, I, was the listen, but there was also uh, bodies found in there, and you know, remains of. Other stuff there's found film. in there too. There's listen, film. There's I, people who lived through it. I don't disagree with you. I, I have I, uh, all my grandparents went through the Holocaust. I know it's true, but I'm saying the there's wall. there's a lot of people today that call into that, question the historical fact that a temple existed. And then well, they found they found thousands of coins. They found bathhouses, like religious so, uh, bathhouses. But I'm saying it's a rhetorical question. It's a rhetorical question because I I don't deny that the Holocaust happened, but there are people in the world that do. I'm sure you wear that, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's very frustrating, don't you think? Right? It's very frustrating. It's very upsetting uh, that this you know the genocide that uh, like the world has never seen before, Uh, the greatest genocide in history of humanity happened, you know, 80 years ago. And, and it's very frustrating when people call that into question because there is actually an abundance of evidence. Uh, but I think that there's more evidence to Mount Sinai than the Holocaust. There's more evidence. More evidence. There's more people that saw it in unison and we have their testimony. Where is their testimony? Well, their testimony is everywhere. At the synagogue you go to, you see their testimony. Where? Well, you see it in the fact that the Jews, throughout the generations, not just one Jew, but millions of Jews over, uh, uh, over hundreds or, or dozens of generations that have tenaciously observed the Torah when they would not have if they knew it was false, right? So we have essentially 3,300 years of uninterrupted Jewish observance, even in the face of great persecution even if it meant incredible economic, social uh, marginalizations, even if it meant expulsion, exile, inquisition, pogrom, 
They observe the Torah tenaciously. Well, why would they do that? Because they know it's true. Well, how do they know it's true? Because they witnessed it. Okay. If they didn't witness it, they wouldn't observe the Torah. They wouldn't stop working on Shabbat. They wouldn't blow the shofar and shake the lulav and eat the matzah and have a you know have a mezuzah and do everything to uphold the Torah against such tremendous opposition. You know, such an uphill battle. What about Christianity? From what I understand, and I could be wrong, I believe the Gospels weren't even written for hundreds of that's, years. That, that's not historical. That's right. There's, there's many differences between... between but yet, people die for it. Millions, millions of people follow it, well, and they believe that's it's a the very, Gospel. That's a, very, that's a very, very good question. But what do they believe? It means if the, belief, the original belief is not based upon evidence, right? Assuming Mount Sinai happened... People saw it. They experienced it. They had actual prophecy, right? You read the book. You didn't read the watch the movie, right? <laughs> right. The book makes it absolutely abundantly clear. Look at Exodus chapter twenty, but even more. Look at when it's repeated in Deuteronomy. It's very clear. The people themselves, millions, a nation of millions, experienced prophecy in Mount Sinai. Like that. If that didn't happen, no one would observe the Torah. Remember, this is a historical document. Look at the end of the book. Moshe delivers the book to the Jewish people. If if it happened in any other way, other than the way it's described that it happened, we wouldn't have all that thousands of years of testimonies. You know why? Because I wouldn't. If I knew it was a hoax, I wouldn't perpetuate that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't observe it. I wouldn't teach it to my kids. So we have, till today, we have the testimony of of tens of millions of people. At Mount Sinai happened. Because remember, we miss one link in the chain, we miss one generation, then we have nothing. (coughs) Judaism ends. When you were five years old, did you did you know you were Jewish? Yeah. Hmm? Mm Mm-hmm. Why? How? Well, uh, when I was three, I got a kippah. We got tzitzis. We went to synagogue. We have Shabbos, and we know you what we're allowed to do with Shabbos. You weren't at a point that you could understand. Well, that's true, but I didn't know about George Washington either. <coughs> so, so there, there, there is, a, there is a, uh, there's a germination and a development of faith as well, right? But as adults, we cannot be satisfied with the faith of our youth of our childhood. We can't be satisfied with the knowledge of Torah that we got in religious school or in Sunday school as little kids. You know, today, the biggest battle that we have in teaching Torah to the, to, to the Jewish people is the fact that people think they already know it. Why? Because they spent uh, two hours every Sunday afternoon um, as kids. Right? And that, that's a big problem because they know nothing. They're ignorant. How many books of Talmud have they finished? How many pages of Talmud have they finished? None. Most people. Right? How many books of the Torah do they know? How many times do they go through Torah with Rashi? None. So, so what do they know? They know nothing. They know nothing. But until you went to rabbinical school or before you became religious, you were simply perpetuating what your parents were handing down to you. Okay. So so what? So so, so there so is. It was a hoax. You you were already not. But remember, into it. but if it was a hoax, how would it get started? 
means you have to have collaboration. You have to have collaboration. Remember, if the Holocaust was a hoax, what has to happen? You have to have millions of people collaborating, correct? Mm-hmm. Well, why would they want to do this? One question, right? How do, if, if the Sinai experience was a hoax, you have to have millions of people collaborating. You have to. There's no other way to do it. There's no other way to do it. And why would people want to do that? Why would they want to perpetuate a falsehood? I'm not saying it's a falsehood. I'm saying right, but we, we have. But this is the logical questions we have to ask, so and the Torah demands of us asking. So much of Judaism is about stories that represent values. So, do you take the, the Torah literally? Most people will say no, but it's telling a story. It's teaching a value. So, did they believe it happened? Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But it, it perpetuated the values that they wanted to pass on. Okay, so this, so this is a good question that you're bringing up. Uh, because it, it, there's a subtlety here that I think can very easily go awry. And I'll explain what I mean here. If someone asks me, do you think, do you think the Torah is literal? It's a, it's a trick question because certainly there are parts of it that don't seem literal at all. Um, when you look at the Talmud, is the Talmud literal or not? Well, it talks about uh, how there's 1,200 mile tall waves in the ocean. Is that literal? Oh, I wouldn't think so. It talks about what happens at the sun at night. The sun at night. Is that literal? Uh, I don't think so. It tells about uh, um, people that were conversing with birds. Is that literal? I don't know. I, I would assume that it's not literal. Yet, it gives us the exact length of a lunar moon down to the millisecond. Clearly, that is literal. So, it's a trick question because there are some parts of the Torah that I would say are not literal, and some parts that I would say that very much are literal. That's right, that's right. Now, if we're to say that the Torah is giving us an exhaustive description of Genesis in 31 verses, bit of a stretch. It's a stretch. It's a stretch to say we have the whole picture. 800 million species in 31 verses, not enough. It's not enough. Clearly, no one's going to make the argument that all of cosmology and all of biology and all of ecology, everything, is everything, exactly, Everything is described in 31 verses. No one's going to make that argument. And there are a lot of basic questions to those people that want to make that argument. Say, hey, okay, the world's created in six days. How do you have a day without a sun? What, what defines a day? I don't know the answer to the question. It's a good question. Sun would be in day four. What happens day two to three? How, how did day two become three? I don't know is the correct answer because the Torah is clearly not giving us exhaustive descriptions. Go ahead. So, you know how, like, scientists are saying, like, the year is, like, billions of years old? Well, could 30, that, you know, could that be true if... Yeah, so the, so, the question. So, the Jewish dates, right? We have, this year is 5776 in the Jewish calendar. The calendar starts with Adam. What happened before Adam is a great mystery to us. Um, it's six days... But six days that are clearly not the same kind of days that we have. I'll tell you why. Uh, Adam, 
arrives at day six, correct? Okay. What else happened at day six? Eve. Uh, a uh, um, Adam uh, knew Eve in the biblical sense. Uh, Adam and Eve became parents. There's five minutes right there. Huh? There's five minutes right there. <laughs> he also named every living thing. He named every animal. He had a baby the same day. Is that one day? Maybe it's a little bit too much to do in one day to actually be created, get married, have a baby, name all the animals. Is that one day? Is that all the day's work? <laughs> Clearly not in the days that we're used to. These are different days. What they are is a great mystery. Our clock starts ticking after the first week. Five, seven, seven, six, since the first week. Simple. What happens before that? We don't know is the correct answer. Is it 15.4 billion years? Is it 13.8 billion years? Is it six days? And somehow these days are miraculously productive days. I don't know. That's the correct answer. Is it, it's very possible that there's... that that. You know, looking back, it looks like 13.8 billion years. Theory of relativity says funny things happen when you take space and time and like stretch it out. That's the right. size of the universe. I would agree to that. that yes. well, from an astrological standpoint, when the moon was much closer to the Earth, the days were much longer also. Makes also, sense. time and physics were still being stretched out, so one day could have been deptillions of years in our standards. Ooh, I would agree. Yes. <laughs> That's right. We're right. looking back from our perspective uh, in back into history. We have five, seven, seven, six plus six days that could be who knows how long from our perspective. You know, from God's perspective, right? He's not bound by time, right? We know that, so he could coexist. Uh, he can exist simultaneously uh, then and now and in the future. He's not bound by the same rules. Uh, but. Uh, but so to answer back to your question, so is it literal or not literal? Um, the, the true answer is that um, we have to have. And Maimonides, by the way, goes off on this. It's a great diatribe. If you want to read a great diatribe about Maimonides, he tells us that there's three kinds of people that study Torah. Um, and he says the people that study uh, Torah and say it's all literal, those are fools. And people say they study Torah and say none of it's literal, but they're also fools. Right? Uh, we have to know what what is the Torah to get a sense of what the Torah is describing. The Torah is about, uh, talks, you know, Torah talks about uh, about uh, Abraham and Isaac and the binding of Isaac. What happened there? What happened there? Um, so we find statement like teachings in the Midrash that talk about Abraham actually killing him. Well, well you read the book; it doesn't seem like that, right? We stop before he killed him. Did he kill him? Did he kill his feminine soul that he had and? Now Isaac reemerged, but as in with a different soul. I don't know; it's not written there in the written text. But when we dig into the other sources, it may, it may, we may find more things. So maybe it's not exactly literal the way it's described. Um, I'll give you guys another example. Uh, Ruvain. He had a great scandal. What does the Torah say about him? That he slept with his. Father's wife, Billa. Then we know that actually never happened. It did not happen. What actually happened was that he tampered with the bed, the, this, the sleeping arrangements of his dad, and he took his bed and took his pajamas and you know took his night table and moved it out of one tent and moved it to a different tent. 
talking about when Rachel passed away? That's right. Okay. Uh, that's what actually happened. But the Torah has a way of conveying an idea. Uh, in, it does it in very extreme terms. Right? What does it say? It says that Reuben slept with his father's wife. Now, did he actually sleep with her? No. But for him, it's for the Torah's perspective of Reuben, it's equivalent as if any, any kind of tampering with the sleeping arrangements of, of, of his dad, Jacob, is tantamount to the ultimate defiling of his dad's honor. Give you another example. Moses, greatest man that ever lived. Man who had prophecy, right? If I were to ask you the question, did Moses have faith or not? You would say, of course he had faith. And then what does the Torah say about him? Right? He took a, he took a rock and he gave water to a nation of millions out of a rock. Would that be a faith-inspiring episode if we saw it? Yes, mm-hmm. most certainly. How does the Torah characterize Moshe's uh, activity with the rock? Moshe and Aaron, you guys have no faith in God. What? <laughs> what does that mean? How do we say that Moshe doesn't have faith? It means that we're... Tr- and it's, clearly it's not literal, right? Because Moshe does have faith. How do you say that Moshe... If Moshe doesn't have faith, none of us have faith. Moshe is the greatest man that ever lived. The Torah itself says that. No, no one will ever be a prophet like Moshe. The most humble of all men. He didn't have faith. There's no prophet like him. You don't think you have to have faith to be a prophet? Of course. What it means is the Torah has a way of speaking. And for Moshe, on Moshe's level, any act that's not a thousand percent perfect is automatically terrible. Why? Because Moshe has higher standards. For Moshe, something which is awe-inspiring and faith-inspiring and would, would, would be enough inspiration for us if we saw it, for a lifetime of faith. If we saw Moshe hit the rock and suddenly water is everywhere... And there's enough water for everyone to drink. If we saw that, we would have enough faith, enough faith the rest of our lives. No, no question. None of us, none of us would, you know, would be tempted by any cheeseburgers. None of us. None of us. <laughs> we wouldn't. And the people in the desert, not the same case. Well, we'll talk about the people in the desert, right? But if we saw that, we wouldn't. We, we would just give me the books. We just, you know, sorry, Rabbi. I'm, I'm learning. I'm studying Torah. I'm learning. None of us would have any questions of faith. Yet Moshe, who did that, he said that the guy who did the perpetrator doesn't have faith. It means that we're talking to Moshe at his level. On Moshe's level, even though he did an activity that's obviously faith-inducing for for a nation of millions for all eternity, for Moshe, when he could have done it slightly better by not even touching the rock, by talking to the rock, to him, he doesn't have any faith. That's the way the Torah talks. Now, no one has ever made a claim that the Mount Sinai experience was anything but literal. The Torah goes out of its way to make it clear that this has actually happened. Because it's the bedrock principle of everything. And if that's not, you know, once we say, oh, well, it's all allegorical about that, right? Once we do that, then we're toast. The whole thing, we got to scrap it. The whole thing, the whole religion is a house of cars that, that crumbles. Uh, and especially because no one ever made that claim. No one ever made a claim. You open the Talmud, look anywhere through the Talmud, find someone that made that claim 
of the Mount Sinai experience being anything but the way it's described. So, um, so even though the Torah might not be literal in every word that it says, um, in the Mount Sinai experience, clearly uh, it is describing events that happened, that were witnessed by millions. And for us, and, and, and we have their testimony as well, um, um, because they got the book, which described those events that they themselves said, and that book and those events are the framework and the fabric and the bedrock that uh, uh, the entire religion is based upon. So every mitzvah that anyone does is an affirmation of that truth. Not only that, uh, we have um, all the other nations really accept that as, as true, which was they accept the Old Testament, so to speak, or the Torah as being true as well. So to say that we have no testimony, we have testimony till this day. And we have uninterrupted testimony. We have testimony that has never ceased. Because if it did cease, we wouldn't be around. If you have one generation that is disconnected from Torah, that's it. It's over. The Jewish experiment is a failure. But we don't have that. We don't have that. So, um, but yeah, that's one example of, 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 of an exercise that we should do, or we could do, uh, which would result in us coming to the conclusion that not only does God exist, but also the Torah is true. So it kind of covers both. That's why it's the, uh, the key. And by the way, I, w- I would, I would, I would uh, advise everyone to look at the uh, chapters uh, that we discussed uh, that describe the Mount Sinai experience. Um, because in the movie, it's Moses has his experience, and the Jewish people are not part of it. If you read the book, not only are the Jews part of it, and they're experiencing and they're witnessing it alongside him, uh, but Torah makes it very clear that you, you know you weren't told about this. This is not something you accepted upon tradition. This is you saw with your own eyes. And not only that, I'll say even more. Chapter 4, verse 32 of Deuteronomy makes a bold and audacious claim that itself, if you just read the claim, not having to know the, uh, the facts, the base, that, you know, the back out the claim, would prove to you that the Torah is divine. What's that claim? Do you know what that claim is? Huh? What was the question? There's a claim, there's a prediction. Slavery? No, no, no. That's well, slavery. I mean, there's so many predictions. Which do you narrow it down? Okay, the prediction that the Torah makes in uh, in chapter four, verse thirty-two. You guys, you got it on your phone? Do you Slow use Wi-Fi. Yeah, what's it about? And what's it about Mount Sinai? This is like this. It's it's like a challenge to the reader of the book, saying, "I challenge you to find <clears throat> any narrative in all of human history." all across the world, of a nation hearing the word of God and surviving. It's, it, what essentially it's saying is that the only claim of national prophecy that will ever happen is the Jewish people. There's the only claim of national prophecy. Now why would that be so? Can't another nation make that claim? Well, the answer is no, because to make that claim, you have to have a collaboration of millions of people, and it's impossible to get millions of people to collaborate on something, because otherwise, what do we know? 
you know, how, how do the George Washington exist? How do the Holocaust happened? All of us were born after the Holocaust happened, right? How do we know? How do we know anything that happened before the before or outside of our, how do we know that China has anyone ever been to China? Brad, you've been to China, no? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but other, the rest of us have not been to China, <laughs> right? How do we know that it exists? How do we know? How do satellite we know? Images. Huh? Satellite images. <coughs> have you looked at satellite images of China? Yes. You have. <laughs> okay. Have you looked at satellite images it's of Australia? Conspiracy. Yeah, the moon. How do you know we landed on the moon? Well, I don't know. Well, <laughs> that's a good question, right? You have to have five people to, to collaborate. That's yeah, not so, that's not so hard. Other nations have heard God before. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. When's that? When God was offering the Torah to each nation. Ah, uh, oh. okay. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. That's a good so, question. No? <laughs> sneaky, sneaky. So where does where does it say that? I'm gonna ask you. Where's your evidence? Yeah, well, evidence? how do you know that? How do you know that happened? I think it was in the Talmud chapter. No, I'm just kidding. I don't remember where it's you know at. Yeah, it's also, just it's I, in the midrash. I think the they would remember if a gigantic spirit came to them, offering them a book of beliefs. They would probably write that down. I'm sorry. Who? If, if God as a spirit. Or if he even no, but no, but this is this is this is more. This is not just that it never happened. We know it never happened, besides for the Jewish people. But it was never claimed to have happened. So what what Ben's referring to is that the Talmud says in the Book of Avodah Zarah, chapter one, uh, page two. Right? This is around Ben. Yeah, I, I to have be, to get uh, that that the Torah was offered. To the nations of the world, and the nations of the world all asked, "Well, what's in the Torah?" It's the opening of every rabbi's joke. Right? I've never said a joke about this. So, what's a joke? Tell me, enlighten me. Well, they like offered it to you know whatever the Muslims. They're like, "Well, what's in the book?" And the Muslims said, and God says, "Well, you, I don't know, make something up." Oh, you can't have adultery. Oh, we're out. Oh, or you know, yeah. or we can't steal. Oh, we're out. You know, is and, it free? Yeah, we'll take yeah. two. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, that's yeah, and then they offered to choose, and we're like, yeah, we'll take two. No, or like, what does it cost? That's what they asked? Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, so, that's your question. That's your question. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's say one of the nations said, well, okay, we'll take it. What would have happened? Oh, you tell me. There wasn't a bar fire, possibly. Well,. Well, the the fact that the Jews are going to get the Torah, that's already essentially established with Abraham, right? 500 years earlier. It was an impossibility for it to have happened in any other way. It was promised to Abraham already. That's right, because he, your children will be the nation of the Jewish people, which connected to that is the Torah. Could have been Ishmael. Well, no, because Abraham's that told that Isaac will be Isaac your descendants. Isaac is right? Right? Isaac is the one who's going to have a legacy of, and not only Isaac, not, not, not Isaac in its entirety, but of Isaac, be Yitzchak, of Isaac, which means Jacob, not all of Isaac, some of Isaac. So what that Talmud is saying is not that, um, that the Almighty actually came and there was a, an experience of prophecy for, na- for, for, nation, for the entire nation and they had an up and, up and down vote. That's not what happened. What it's saying is what... I don't, well, hmm. 
either what would have happened had us, you know, um, but I would say maybe there was a representative for every nation. Or maybe uh, every nation, the difference between the Jews and the non-Jews uh, would be that the non-Jews are saying, hey, what's in it for us? It's in the book of Avodazara. But clearly, it's not, it's not national prophecy for everyone. That's clear. It's clearly not national prophecy. Um, but let me ask you a question. My question is like this. If you and I were the architects of a book of a famous hoax, the Protocols of the Elders designed, for example. Protocols of the Elders designed. No one has no, no, no ever heard of that book. Yeah. You have heard of it, right? Yeah. Book of Elves? Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Oh. Oh. What is that book? Elves. of the Elders of Zion. No one's ever heard of the book. Yeah. You've heard of it. What's the book about? It's a nasty book. It basically says how we're trying to collaborate to take over the world. Yeah, so this is a famous In this is way. this is a, a famous yeah. forgery. A famous forgery that what has been is believed by millions of people. Essentially, it's the minutes of a meeting that the elders of Zion, like all these old crusty Jews, get together. Like this, there's a society of Jews that are that are planning world domination. But it's all in negative connotation, which is interesting. There's another story that goes with it because China found it, but. Essentially, it's the book of intellectual anti-Semitism. The anti-Semitism that says, oh, the Jews control everything, they're all money-hungry, they control the banking system, they control the politics, they control everything. And essentially, the book is, like I said, it's minutes of, of a bunch of... How old was it? It was, it was, I think, originally first published in 1903, I think. Oh, so it, was, it, was, it, was, it was translated into, into dozens of languages. And Henry Ford, the famous anti-Semite... Uh, he paid for I think hundreds of thousands of translate of copies to be dis- sent everywhere, and Hitler was obsessed with the book. And um, either way, if we were to, and it's clearly a forgery, as everyone knows that. Um, if we were to write a book with the intention of having it accepted as being true, but we were actually making the forgery, what would our number one goal be? User-friendly. No, not necessarily, because it doesn't have to be user-friendly to be a hoax. Believable. Believability, right? And, and we would try to avoid being easily exposed as a hoax. Gold and if... Tablets. Huh? Gold tablets. Translated by angels. Oh, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's what you would do. You would say, hey, I found gold tablets uh, written in Reformed Egyptian. Right? That's not very usable, because no one has ever heard of Reformed Egyptian before that. 
oh, and I translated to Mortal Mormons, but no one's ever seen these golden tablets. No one's ever heard of Reformed Egyptian. All we have is the book. That's exactly what I would do. That's exactly what Joseph Smith did, the founder of Mormonism. If you and I, if this, if this was the council of the authors of the hoax of the Torah, our goal would be let's write it in a way that is not going to expose our fabrication. And we found some clever way to fabricate the national prophecy at Mount Sinai. Why would we go out on a limb and say that no nation will ever claim national prophecy? We obviously know that it could be done because we did it. Why would we expose ourselves to someone else doing it, being as clever as we are, and thus be exposed as forgery? And today we know that there's no other nation that's ever claimed national prophecy. Well, why not? Because God never came to them. Well, maybe they made it up. Why, why would no nation make it up? Because you can't make it up because you need to have wide-scale collaboration, which is not possible. Oh, what does that prove about us? It means that it actually happened. Okay. Undeniable. Maybe a believer. No, I'm saying... Okay, so this is what I wanted to talk about because I was going to talk about number one and two of, of the <clears throat> levels of faith just as an afterthought. And then say, well, what is Jew, Jewish faith? Like, what is, what do I, what's actually demanded of us? Uh, and uh, unfortunately, we're not going to get too, too far down that. But I still came up with another, uh, another seven levels of faith beyond having a certain de- degree of evidence, a certain degree of understanding, intellectual understanding uh, of, of, this, of these principles. Uh, because we know, like um, Esau, Esau, like Jacob's uh, sparring mate, uh, according to Jewish tradition, he was actually a great scholar. And he was someone who maybe had faith, and had real faith, but it was all rele- relegated to his mind. Why do you say he was a great scholar? What? Why do you say he was well, a great scholar? Well, what does Rashi say about him? Rashi tells us that he actually would have these nuanced discussions of laws of tithing. How do you tithe salt, he asked his dad. How do you tithe salt? So I thought it was the wild woodsman. Well, yeah, the Torah, the, the Torah exposes who he truly is. And he didn't go to the tent and study for years. That's true. Whatever. But he would go, you know, to, you know, he was actually a great scholar. Mm-hmm. But the Torah looks at him not by what he knew, but rather how he behaved. And if your behavior doesn't reflect that that you know, well, there's something wrong with what you know. I'll give you guys an example, a real life example. If he was a great scholar, Yes, go ahead. Then why did he marry a non-Jew? Well, who said he had to marry a Jew, right? What do you mean, who said he had to marry? I don't understand. Well, first of all, your question is exactly my point. He didn't behave that way. Huh? He didn't behave. His actions weren't a reflection of that ideal. Maybe he was a great scholar, and he still married a non-Jew. What's the problem with that? How can you be a great scholar? And I, don't, I don't understand. He's not, he's not a great believer, but he's a great scholar. He's not a great behavior. He doesn't act <clears throat> in a way that's befitting of someone of, that knew what he knew. And that's why the Torah highlights what the way he behaved. So you're saying he knew. Well, I'm saying the fact that you're you saying know, he knew. You're, you're making the claim, and I'll prove to you that you're wrong. 
No, I'm just asking. Okay. I'm just asking. You're, you're saying that he with knew evidence. what he this was doing. With, with, with empirical, this is empirical data. You think that because people know something, it means that they'll behave in a way that's in line with that knowledge. No. Because uh, well, otherwise your question doesn't make any sense. You say, hey, Esau's uh, a great scholar. Why is he not behaving like a great scholar? Well, I'm saying, yeah, that's, those two are not necessarily uh, in tandem. I'll give you proof. What's my proof? I asked this question to a group of... You're going to talk about human behavior? Or yeah. you, oh, that's a bad example. Why? Esau is a human. No, you're so disturbed that he behaved in a way that was unbefitting. As I do. Right. So, who here... Who here thinks that uh, texting while driving is exceptionally dangerous? But what? everyone does it. Who here has said they've never, they've never done it? I asked a question. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Which drivers among us have never tested while driving? Miriam, have you tested while driving? Okay. Every, so, 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 so what does that mean? I got your phone. I can text. <laughs> Well, that means is that yes, that's the human condition. We don't actually behave in a way that, that's in line with what we know. Well, it's a different. It's a different realm. Esau knew a lot, but he didn't behave in a way that reflected that, and that's why he's the great villain. Because the Torah demands of us to do more than just know things. It demands of us to behave things, to act things, to live in a way that's in line with what you know. He's the lineage of Rome, right? Yeah. How could a, a great scholar deviate so much from the Torah then? Look at Rome. Well, the Romans were the Romans were very intelligent, very scholarly, very developed. Because you're smart doesn't mean you're not. Okay, I guess I guess maybe I'm mixing up words. Are you saying scholar of Torah or just scholar intelligently? I thought you were. I thought you'd say he was a scholar. He was of a Torah. master of theoretical knowledge. So not a scholar of Torah. Maybe he knew Torah. Maybe he knew wisdom. Maybe he knew everything. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I thought you were saying he was a scholar of Torah. I think I, he I was. I happen to think he was a scholar of Torah. I'm sorry. I don't think he was a scholar of Torah. That's why I was questioning. I, that does not make sense to me. Okay. How do you define scholars? A scholar of Torah. So I mean, um, that's a hard. That's a hard definition. Okay, so but someone that's let me give, familiar. Let me, let me give you a statement of Talmud. Okay. Tell me if this if this helps you. Talmud says in the book of Rodazara, 18b. So when I'm going to question you, I'm not going to just, just say ideas. Avodazara, yes, yeah, a lot of fun. Um, it says that if someone has Torah but not kindness, it's akin to someone who doesn't believe in God. That's, you have to have the three legs. We talked about that, right? Chesed and the two other ones or whatever. Right? What's my point? My point is, yes, it's possible for someone to have Torah, but not have kindness, not behave in a way that's befitting him. But that's very bad. It's still possible. And that's who es- Esau is. That's, that's exactly who he is. He had all the Torah in the world, but he behaved like an animal. Hmm. And the Torah highlights his behavior, not what he knew. And similarly for us, what's demanded of us, even in the realms of faith, is not limited to our knowledge, our mind, our intelligence. Rather, it has to penetrate into our behavior. If your faith stays relegated in your mind, there's still something lacking in your faith. Um, by the way, what's a mitzvah? Commandment. I know that, but what is a mitzvah? Mitzvah is a, way, a behavior 
that someone does as an act of faith. It's an act of faith. It's not a thought of faith. It's not, it's not in your mind. It's an act of faith. Right? A mitzvah is something that someone would not have done had God not instructed them to do it. Right? Maybe, maybe not. Why not? There's 613 mitzvahs, right? Yeah, go ahead. Just because God wrote them down doesn't mean some of it doesn't come natural to do. Mm. Which is the same, which is the reason why when we do mitzvahs, we have to make sure that we're doing it because the Almighty instructed us to do it. But let's say let's let's look, let's look at the flip side. Let's say someone withholds from doing something the Torah says don't do. I'm not going to eat pork because the Torah says no. Well, that's a mitzvah, right? That's that, that is a behavior, or mm-hmm. and you know being uh, it, it being it's it, it's withholding from a behavior that you wouldn't have have done other if God not instructed you not to. That's an actual it's an actualization of faith. Uh, and clearly, the Torah demands that of us as well. So, um, I think on the very, very basic level, we have a Jewish faith. Uh, we are talking about a behavior that is a reflection of a certain belief. Not just an understanding, intellectual understanding in our minds, but in our, in our, in our, in, in how we live. As well, now I have uh, even uh, I have like I said six more of them. Unfortunately, I can't, can't, we can't. I have, I have to go because I have a babysitter that's going away from me, and I'll I'll uh, I have to go home because my yeah. babysitter to keep my four-year-old out of the house. <laughs> Are you serious? What? Yeah. Just now? Yeah. Well, she yeah, she exiled him. They exiled him to the garage apartment with my in-laws. <laughs> <laughs> That's not terrible. So oh, well, well, I, I was just thinking of just a four-year-old Outside. parading down the streets, like <laughs> helplessly playing the street. <laughs> well, the point is that he misbehaved in a bad way. Your kid? Yeah, my little, the little one. The one that's like doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. 